welcome back viewers uh, to the amazing podcast of ceo talks uh, today we have with us mr archit arya who is an alum from stscbs and also worked as an account management trainee in j water thompson worldwide and currently working in duff and phelps as a restructure advisory as senior consultant today he is with us to speak on the topic consulting and restructuring environment in india hello sir we would be glad to hear your journey to uh, this position and your journey in sscbs also yeah hi arun good to be here happy to share my journey and have this conversation with you the first question uh, that was asked by most of the people uh, around our uh, college was that uh, what is the basic difference between the scope of corporate restructuring and merger and acquisitions Yeah, so i think that's an interesting question and going back to my own cbs time when i was an undergrad that's something that tends to be like we always get these terminologies from firms and every firm uses different terminology for their team and it's very difficult to get an understanding of what actually works that happens just as an anecdote i remember working as part of a investment banking team and i wasn't really even aware that that was investment banking till the point that i even joined them. just because their terminology was something different they never said m&a or something they call in big fours a lot of teams call that lead advisory which is their core investment banking team so that's something i think is great to hear and get more insights on so i'll be happy to share that so let me just explain it in terms of how most consulting firms or investment banks work so be it the likes of big fours or other firms such as mine or various other firms that exist so all of these services fall under the umbrella of corporate finance usually there tends to be a core m&a team there will be a restructuring team there will be other teams such as valuations and due diligence so just sticking to m&a and restructuring so m&a tends to be the teams that work on transactions so basically that's just a simple transaction there's either an investor that's will that's looking at buying some sort of specific asset is it an example could be an international investor wants to start up a business in india and since he doesn't want to start up his own he wants an inorganic growth he's looking at certain an industry with certain business presence already in india and wants to do that acquisition or a sell side where there's we have also the corporate finance mandates work like there's a business that's operating in india and it's doing well but there's no succession planning or for some reason or the other the current entrepreneur promoters want to move out of the business so they are looking to sell so that's what mna transactions are like simply so what corporate restructuring is on the other side working exclusively with stressed and distressed organizations so what we do is we work with organizations basically that are already struggling to pay their debts or are going to struggle in the new future to pay their debts so there can be different sort of engagements on how that work one of them can be that the companies overseas that we there's some downturn in the business for xyz reasons and they want to get ahead of this and ensure that they don't actually get, get in water so they might hire a consultant and say okay this is a problem help us figure out a solution the solution can look multiple ways there can be a sort of an operational turnaround 
where you analyze the business and go okay this is a vertical that's not making profit or this is how you can save costs and this is some that can help you restructure your business in an operational sense other can be a financial restructuring which is you work look at the capital structure of the company basically this is the equity this is the debt okay what are your debt repayments looking like and then you negotiate with the creditors and get, ensure that the debt repayment terms become more favorable to the company and the company doesn't face a default on its payments so that is one but most of the engagements tend to be with companies that have already sort of gone into distress so and india became a very this became a huge thing in india if you have heard there was the insolvency and bankruptcy code back in 2016 right so that totally changed the environment because in india there were a lot of cases the bank npas were rising exponentially and there was really no framework that creditors had that was effectively allowing them to sort of get out their values from the companies that were struggling so after the introduction of insolvency and bankruptcy code there was an entirely new process that the creditors could implement for distressed companies so this process and this is the main work that usually happens in restructuring practices nowadays involves sort of two angles to it one is the more consulting angle this involves that the board of directors ends up getting suspended so basically the company's management is no longer the ones that actively have control and instead the creditors which are usually india's biggest banks tend to appoint a consulting firm such as ours and we step in instead of the management so we oversee the company's operations for an interim sort of a period and in the long run what we are hoping to do is to get a long term plan in place which usually means getting an investor to step in to take over the credit to pay off the creditors and run the company going forward so it involves both sort of angles the management of the company is sort of more consulting sort of an angle and then there's obviously figuring out new investors which is the mna part of the transaction so that tends to be the core sort of operational and day to day difference between what an mna practice does and the restructuring practice does happy to dive into more questions on this if you want that was uh, really well explained by you uh, mr archit so one thing that i want to ask is that what other things might push an organization to undergo restructuring apart from debt so see why do companies undergo restructuring that's a like there are always numerous factors involved the ones can be as one you said the exceptional factor the factor that we don't want to talk about is the debt the other factors can be just a simple business downturn right like a lot of steel and basically metals and mining companies were in downturn in india as in the last few years just because the industry over the last decade wasn't really globally doing well so the margins were getting tighter the demands were sort of going down the prices were not as good as such so the these companies were facing issues that is that tends to be one the others can be a bad sort of an investment we worked with an there was an epc company who basically expanded and wanted to do a project in one of the african countries it did a major investment in that country and suddenly political unrest broke out and they 
absolutely just totally lost of that all of that investment and for that investment was done through bank debt and so the business just became unsustainable going forward so these are the business factors there are also certain other company related factors such as corporate governance issues that companies have the management in india this especially if you work in the restructuring space you see that it's a, it's quite prevalent that this has happened with a lot of companies unfortunately companies start and especially top managements become a little lax on the corporate governance sort of initiatives and what ends up happening is a lot of funds that are taken from the banks end up getting siphoned off so you might hear of a lot of restructuring companies also facing fraud proceedings that is just an unfortunate thing that happened and that is at times make a plays a major role on why the business actually the model and overall the business was doing well but a lot of the funds were diverted into other avenues and obviously the company faced certain issues so i think these are the major categories of why companies end up in the restructuring scenarios very well insight sir so i want to know that uh, uh, so do you see yourself as an insolvency profession as per the ibc 2016 when you take over the operations on an interim basis no sorry i didn't quite understand that can you explain it a little further so uh, do you see yourself as an insolvency professional as per the ibc uh, uh, code okay. so when you take okay. over so the me, operation as an interim basis yeah. so what happens is insolvency so when the, so this is all a little Uh, under insolvency bankruptcy code the process that goes through it is a legal process so you have to do it as per the court the court oversees the process in a certain way so what how it does it courts do not appoint firms they appoint an individual and in so that is the insolvency professional so under certain acts and certain people are sort of registered as insolvency professionals with the insolvency and bankruptcy board so amongst them whenever a creditor which is usually a bank files for an insolvency it tends to go for it tends to sort of go and seek bids and have discussions about which insolvency professional it wants to appoint and the insolvency professional and since he tends to be an individual and the cases tend to be really huge it's not at all practically feasible that the person will actually be doing everything so how it works in practicality is that the person tends to be the signing authority while the firm in itself ends up running the entire mandate he appoints a firm which sort of is the support basically supporting the insolvency professional and the firm runs the entire mandate while the insolvency professional is the signing authority he oversees everything so basically like if you work if you have any idea of how audits operate there's a signing partner involved so he's basically like the signing partner in that case while the entire team is doing all the work he will be the final signing authority so there's one insolvency professional that is hired which is not us specifically that's a that's a person that's appointed by a court and then he appoints the entire firm of which i am a part okay so uh, very well explained so i want to also ask that merger and acquisition industry as a whole is really mature in nations like united nations like developed nations 
so how do you feel that merger and acquisition industry will unfold in india so that's so going to okay a larger mergers and acquisitions discussion i think the industry is definitely as you said it's not as mature and the thing the matter of fact has been that recently especially the trends were not really very positive in the last few years since i have been a professional especially in the mna space because the indian economy was at a stage where there wasn't a lot of cash flows that were there people did not really have the bandwidth for investment if you have seen if you go and see non sort of restructuring sort of mna that took place in the country with say the last 5 years a lot of those would be government either the government was investing or one of your bigger players be it your ambani's your adani's there was a lot of limited cash flows apart from that that existed in the country so that was a major issue that the mna industry was facing speaking with a lot of mna professionals that's the insight i always got that that it was just becoming a more difficult space to work in because either you were working with a very specific group of investors or you were working with the government because apart from that there were very limited there weren't really many players that were able to pull off major transactions because they no one really had buying power but the trends are starting to improve a lot of overseas funds are getting investments in india a lot of it right now tends to be in the venture capital space that is the one that's booming venture sort of growth funds are more prevalent but having had discussions i have seen a lot of funds that are getting interested in india distress funding which is sort of again the restructuring side of things is also the one that is booming but overall hopefully after sort of the clean up that is happening through the insolvency and bankruptcy court and once the effects of the pandemic also start getting removed i think we will see a more mature mna market emerge thank you sir uh, so also uh, i want to ask that uh, how has covid particularly impacted the merger acquisition industry what was the changes observed in that industry okay so basically see more like most industries a lot of things just stopped for a bit everything sort of stalled you can see it as in transactions weren't really taking place right like people i know and i was involved in transactions with investors had agreed that okay we will take it forward contracts had been signed but after covid hit they were actually not even able to arrange the funds to make that acquisition so that had a major detrimental impact on the mna sort of space because a lot of time the investors will agree to a transaction but they'll once the transaction has been agreed is when they'll go back to market and sort of raise funds be it through a bank be it through a pe player or whoever so they also it's very rare that an investor himself is putting up all the money they it tends to be a sort of a leverage sort of a transaction in most cases so that was a very huge impact that covid had um, there were a lot of sectors who were going into distress in itself which is obviously the obvious factor hospital beat hospitality or anything related to that that was a major thing that was there i have seen a lot of hotels that ended up going in distress and people were looking to get out of that business and real estate in itself also like commercial real estate since people started working from home that was a space which there were just so many assets out there that and so many 
so few investors so that sort of it did have a detrimental impact in those sort of two ways like a lot of assets just came to the market being one the other being that investors that were thinking okay that we can do this were struggling to actually raise the funds very very fruitful knowledge sir so also i want to ask that uh, uh, are there some new considerations you looked at while valuing companies for acquisitions or mergers post this covid scenario and how do you take them into account in practical uh, scenario see so you will have these all tend to depend on the industry that you're looking at right if you look at an industry which is not an it sector for example that is not as impacted by covid so you wouldn't really change how you are valuing that company if you get into that sector if you go into another sector which is say hospitality hotel if you're looking at a hotel asset the value would be a little different but you'll have to look at it in two different sort of ways what is your past performance been so you look at now we start looking at past performance in two ways what was the past performance pre covid what was the performance during covid and then you try to sort of come with a normalized figure of what the post covid would be you sort of get you try to work at a okay where the how the covid numbers look like say an occupancy rate or just talking specifically about a hotel asset what the occupancy rate or the average room rent which is basically how much the rooms were going for you look at these sort of numbers and you see what the covid prices were and what the pre covid prices were the covid time figures would really be a lot obviously depreciated or whatever you want to call it it wouldn't be as they sort of went down in value so you'll see over the years how in how many years is it likely that you get back to your pre covid numbers and when do you actually even start growing further from them so it is a very industry specific thing but you look at you start like earlier it just used to be okay what is the past performance and the future performance now you need to normalize those things a little too what was the pre covid performance what was the covid performance and now how what is the normalized performance going to look like going forward and how can you grow it okay sir so so uh, also i want to ask that if you had to choose just three criteria for evaluating an acquisition deal what would they be to be very honest i think those criteria will be very very industry specific right for maybe then your criteria would first be what is the industry you're looking at and then you'll have every transactions if you're looking at the acquisition space how you look at it is firstly you look at the industry and then you look at the industry's key performance indexes whatever the key performance indicators are kpis in for that particular industry as i was talking about hotels it tends to be the occupancy rate your average room rents those are the specific sort of key performance indicators you go to another sector you will have a different sort of a kpi so you have to sort of look at those num you have to be very specific to the industry that you are working with and only then can you figure out the three parameters these three parameters or x number of parameters will never be the same across industries will be very very different your industry tends would definitely be one you will have to basically understand the industry generally this is how you go about it first you understand which industry you are working with what the general trend of that industry has been what is the future forecast of that industry looking like and then you sort of look at more specific 
company oriented matrices for that if what the company's performance was what is it does it have a good strategy of expanding its business is the if the industry is itself booming okay that's one reason that you can exp- expect the company to grow in the future or if the industry is not booming but the industry but can the company sort of get a bigger share of the industry market size going forward what is their strategy to do that so i hope because i can't give you a very specific answer here, but i hope this gives a general sense of how you sort of evaluate investment opportunities yes yes surely so 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 uh, has the uh, mna industry also boomed as the stock markets have boomed during the last past two years does mna follow the stock market trend i think mna industry in itself then takes a longer term timeline like the revivals have started people the funds basically speaking to private equity players and all that they have again started looking at assets they're looking at more specific assets there's a lot more interest in sort of distressed investing which is basically that companies that went into a covid induced downturn and business owners are looking for an exit because they're short of funds or whatever so there are people that are trying to pick those assets up at a distressed value that is one but over time this is something that takes a longer timeline like mna space wouldn't boom as quickly as sort of a stock market does because stock market involves a lot of funds and while mna will require someone very specific to look at an asset and just an individual to put in a lot more funds so that is that mna would take a longer term timeline to revive than the stock market the trends are positive but obviously it will work on a longer term time timeline the revival okay so nice so 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 one thing i want to ask that uh, on what basis a business is valued uh, what are the constraints look upon number of customers sales uh, or any other factor Because, so basically uh, that yeah please go ahead while acquisition of company we have to value company and we know that post covid mostly company were overvalued so how to value a company accurately so exactly it will go back to the earlier questions that we were discussing you will have to look at the industry specific kpis firstly and then you'll have to look at what were the covid numbers and pre covid numbers which is what we spoke about and how much has the company started getting closer to its pre covid numbers already what is or is it going to how much time is it going to take for it to achieve its pre covid numbers say will it reach there in a year in a two years what is this timeline that it's looking at for getting back to its pre covid numbers and then because once you've reached that is the point where you will start looking at more your growth projections okay going forward the company will keep growing at a 10% rate on terms of revenue or whatever or a better you will look at those only once you've sort of reached your pre covid numbers so the normal valuation strategy still remain the same look at the same figures as it is your revenues your betters and there only you but you will have to see the trends how you see it because it won't be a linear trend anymore it won't be that the company was growing and it will continue growing the company was growing it took a dip and now it's trying to revive itself back it will again have to sort of get on the growth curve and how well how much time it's going to take 
for the company to do that is where your most of your analysis will end up your energy will be spent on analyzing that bit okay sir so sir uh, can you share with us any mna deal that you work with and found very well interesting so you share with us so obviously because of how confidential these things tend to be i can't really give you out any specific names here so that won't work out but i can give you certain experiences and very specifically in the restructuring space the experiences that i've had and like on transactions and what is what i found interesting from in the restructuring space these are what's different with an mna sort of a space so here what one of the interesting bits tend to be that you work at analyzing a company where there are a lot of issues and you work with companies that are not really very key since as i said earlier the board of directors is suspended and the company whatever the revenues tend to come they firstly go to the creditor and not the management or the business owner so the business owner is not really very inclined to actually sell off that business so how you work in this space is you face a lot of conflicts it's a very legal process or very often fighting battles in courts you work on a lot of litigation i had the opportunity to work with top lawyers in the country actually a peer in legal hearings and everything and work out a lot of legal strategies that is been one very interesting thing that is not part of a usual mna transaction the other thing is you work with a lot of sort of which is the normal mna sort of a thing which you work with a lot of the international investors you work with indian investors you work with international investors you get really good insights on how they are looking at the business when they go through their due diligence you have you get on a negotiation table with them in negotiations you really end up learning a lot because you will have your valuation of the business you have looked at the parameters how you have valued the business and how the investor has valued the business and then basically obviously you are trying to ensure that the value goes up and the investor is trying to ensure the value goes down so now you are trying to come to the same page you figure out you look at their model and understand okay what was what all have they projected what are what is sort of like the receivable cycle looking like what is their raw material pricing looking like what is their revenue looking like their customer base are they projecting it to increase or not and then you figure out sort of okay what is your assumptions how i can make faults in it to ensure that the value goes up so like working with one of the examples that i was working with we were sort of working on a textile industry and i looked at the investors model and was able to see that okay the raw material pricing that you have done is actually we can bring it down lower because the company's historical raw material pricing has been lower due to certain advantages that the company had versus what the industry tend is so by ensuring that the pricing they factored in a lower price for their raw material they were able to increase their margins and the company seemed more profitable to them so that's one bit that's really interesting in the negotiation space then just working with investors and trying to get them interested in a distressed asset is also a very like a very interesting sort of a space because you have to work with a company that's sort of on its last leg then you have to figure out what is it about this company that still makes it profitable how this company can sort of be revived and how it can become valuable 
and you have to present that picture to the investor so just so that you can maximize value for the creator so that's always an interesting space to be in you get to take a deep dive when companies and see where the value lies and how best you can present it okay so very well so 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 uh, uh, during the months of march and april 2020 uh, when there was initial lockdown when businesses yeah. were highly undervalued do you think the customers were satisfied with the valuations did the uncertainty of future made them accept low valuations without any resentment or dissatisfaction see how does like are you talking about customers in terms of like customers that are buying products from a company because in that sense you don't really care about the valuation if i'm going out into I'm the market and i'm buying about the uh, investor point of view because uh, the share market uh, crashed during this period the acquires the com- the uh, people who acquire any company oh okay so you're talking about like the shareholders not the customers okay, yes yes enough. so basically see whenever a stock market crashes a shareholder will never be happy about it but that's just the market that's just the if you are investing in a stock or if you are investing in a company not as a, as a stock or in any which way there is an implied risk right that's that's the difference between a debt and an equity in if you are investing into an equity space you are taking a risk so you can be angry about it you can have resentments but this was the decision you took so the then that's just your call that you took it's very unfortunate that the situation went into a place where the where we are living in this new reality ever since 2020 when the pandemic broke out so but it is what it is right that at the end of the day investors have to understand if you're making investment equity investment you are taking on a certain risk and if the business actually isn't doing well your value the value of your stock will definitely go down if the business does well as what you're hoping for when you are making that investment you'll get the returns for it but that is sort of the risk and reward ratio that you have to look at while making the investment so you can't really have any resentment to any other person for that that's just your decision you took a you took on a risk sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't very well explained sir so so a very uh, uh, very hot topic that is uh, going around everywhere is that how you uh, view the deal of tata acquiring air india because it is a very hot topic nowadays so it is a very hot topic and it's in a restructuring sort of space so air india just being in the industry i have that inside that air india was an asset that wasn't doing well the indian government was really struggling to figure out an investor to get into this space and finally they did man tata is the one that has stepped in and tata being the company that is and it's already existing in this sort of situation it is one of the few players that actually have a chance of reviving the company and getting something valuable out of it any other person that would have stepped into this space would have faced multiple challenges that's why basically the government was facing challenges to get an investor on board because there is just a lot of structural issues with air india in itself and making it a profitable business isn't going to be the easiest journey for tata but if anyone can do it it's probably tata 
yes sir so actually uh, as uh, because i have come to know that uh, tata will also acquire whole lot of debt from air india because air india has lot of debt so i want to know how will tata will get benefit from this because they have to make a big impact because the whole india is watching them exactly so it is a difficult challenge that they have taken place tata in itself they have acquired a lot of debt that's definitely true because the company had a lot of debt but tata since it does have big pockets it can sort of give itself a little breathing ground it doesn't have to be in a way to continue as a distressed situation if they can sort of design their business plans in a way that over time they amp it up they don't have to stress about okay the company is in distress what do we do it's burning a hole in our pocket it won't burn a hole in tata's pocket tata can afford to give it time and build it over a longer term timeline rather than caring too much about a short term vision they will need a long term vision for it definitely they will have to figure out synergistic values that they can get from air india and what is it they will have to have a very clear understanding of what part of air india are they really valuing here like there is a lot of things that would be part of its industry be it their fleet craft be it their spots the certain spots that they have at the airports the time slots and everything the routes that air india has what is it that tata actually values they'll have to be they have i am guessing obviously that they have a very clear sense of what it is that where they feel like the most value can be derived now and that's where they'll have to focus and try to get synergistic energies manage obviously they it will involve a lot of that hopefully air india will be better managed and that helps it in the long run be a more successful business endeavor okay sir so sir and even the deal of microsoft acquiring activision which was worth at more than 69 billion dollars which is actually much more than the combined funding of the entire startup ecosystem in india in 2021 gives us a glimpse of how huge the mna industry is actually is yet do you think this is an industry which is overlooked and underrepresented while sectors like private equity and venture capital are very much in talks or everyone talks about them so what do you think about it, this see you can't take merge mna deal as separate as you can definitely take it separate from private equity because a lot of transactions in the mna space is happening because of private equity and venture capital venture capital and private equity are also engaging in merger and acquisition transactions also so what the difference tends to be is while private equity and venture capital tend to be financial investments they the investors they are just looking at a financial sort of a benefit of it return like basically we'll invest this nx dollar in right now and get a sort of percentage return on it over in, in the next 5 or 10 years that's what a private equity or venture capital is looking while microsoft acquiring activision is more of a strategic investment where they tend to acquire the entire business and try to get synergistic value out of it so if like you are in like a private equity transaction there is the private equity player that's buying it there will always be a mna advisor on board also that would be selling the asset that would be part of the sale in itself so private equity is also itself very 
intermingled with the mna space so that's always like whatever the news is saying it's both of them are sort of part of a similar ecosystem in itself okay so 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 uh, what would be your suggestions for students or young professionals who want to break into this industry that is mna or private equity how they can uh, firstly start because first step is the uh, very uh, important step i think that's a very relevant question and happy to shed light on that so i think my biggest takeaway is that obviously it's coming from my personal bias of my time as an undergrad figure out actually what everything means it's very mna private equity venture capital all of this is very fancy terms we are always investment banking management consulting we are all it's fancy find the terms to be very fancy but what does it actually mean what does the day to day role look like figure that out and what does it actually mean like how we were discussing the mna and private equity how they are sort of part of the similar ecosystem i think that's very relevant for you to understand that what is like what what are the different aspects of and transaction and where all can you be a part of it in the lab and where do you see yourself fitting so if you want to break into a career get get on discussions like we are having right now hear insights from people that have been doing it for a few years because they will be able to tell you what it actually is rather than just the fancy terms and the newspaper headlines that you all read get a more on ground reality of what the industry is how it goes like what does what does an analyst in any of these fields do be it a mna be it private equity be it restructuring be it consulting be it financial due diligence or valuations what does an analyst actually do what are you trying to do and what what are you learning from it so that would be one advice that i think i will definitely have the other is just be aware of the industry trends how the industry is having and flowing if you once you figure out where you are specifically interested in just see what is happening in the industry like the discussion like you definitely seem to be the acquisitions that are taking place in the industry what are the major industry trends looking like just be aware of what space you want to be in whether the space has a, because if the industry is doing well there will be a lot of opportunities for you if you end up going to an industry which is during a cyclical phase not really doing well you might not get as much opportunities as you want so i think that's really key starting early in terms of your research figuring out things and then even starting early in terms of getting your internships get the right internships you want to work in an mna space figure out how best you can get an internship which is as close in as close to that space as possible and over time actually get that because listening doing your research is one thing but actually getting being on ground and figuring out okay how things actually go is an entirely different ball game so that would be really critical if you can get yourself in those positions as close as possible to whatever your target is that would be really key just get as much information on that as possible firstly you can do it through discussions with professionals and other way would be through internships and like projects okay sir very well explained so i want to know that can you explain what do you mean by cyclical industries for our audience no i don't mean cyclical industries i, I just meant like cyclical like we were discussing 
the MNA space, whether a lot of transactions are happening in the country or not, whether private equity players are very interested in India or not, tends to change over time. There would be times where a lot of private equity, like right now, venture capital is an industry that is totally booming, where you have a lot of opportunities as analysts to get into venture capital. Venture capital it usually tends not to take direct undergrads, though concerned to break that out. But if you have a few years of experience, that is an industry that is actually quite, there are a lot of opportunities that exist in that industry compared to a private equity right now. Though in two years, by the time you graduate, that might be the opposite. Venture capital, it might be a bubble that might end up bursting and or a private equity, like a distress investing becomes major in India and you have a lot of private equity opportunities rather than venture capital opportunities. Or in all, a transaction space in India is also maybe at some point m a lot of transactions are taking place over India. But in a few years, maybe there are very limited transactions, big ticket transactions that are taking place. Then you'll have to figure out, okay, what is the right space for you to be in? Do you join a backend of an investment bank that is actually doing transactions in a more developed economy, say a USA or a UK? Do you do that? Do you try to get into that sort of space? Go to Middle East, maybe work from there, maybe from Singapore, because more transactions are happening there. Because if there are no transactions in India, you can't really be able to do front-end. You won't really be having too many investment banking front-end opportunities. So I'm entered in that. Okay, sir. So, sir, uh, which industries you feel that are forming a bubble and that are highly overvalued? then what they should be? What what should be the uh, rights uh, value that that should have? See, as we were talking, I think venture capital is, the venture capital funding in India is, at, is happening at an incredible speed, which is great. But venture capital investing as a principle tends to be that they will invest in 10 ventures and at the end only one or two would work out. And that's something that a venture capital investor is fine with. That's something that's just the rule of the game that they, you invest in a lot of places, one or two would do so well that all of your investment would work out. So that is an industry like a lot of unicorns that you're seeing and, and more than that, the wannabe unicorns where the investment is taking place, a lot of them would definitely fail because that's just the business. They are working at a place where they really want high rewards, but there's just a lot of investment and a lot of them won't be able to won't get profitable in at any point and will end up closing now. So that's a space that will, that seems like a bubble that's about to burst, not about to, let's see how that actually plays out in the next few years. But that is definitely a place where a lot of companies, the valuations that they are showing right now would end up going down. Okay, so. So, sir, uh, what are the resources that one can look upon to improve their knowledge on MA? And also, what would be your advice to the uh, students of uh, our college so that they can enhance their uh, skills in this particular field? So, yeah, I think the best resources for you would be okay, you get your normal newspapers, your business journals, and all that. That will give you a good industry analysis. But it's also very good to speak to people that are actually in the field have sort of arranged informal discussions, reach out through LinkedIn to people 
and say, okay, I'm very interested in figuring out what this role looks like. What is your day-to-day role? Get on in formal discussion. Get 15 minutes, 20 minutes time from people in the industry. CBS in itself has a good alumni base in all these industries. So you might be able to figure out people that are there doing this work already. So reach out to them, figure, speak to them, and that would give you a lot of knowledge. Apart from that, the skills that you can build up, you need to be definitely be have a good sense of your financial knowledge. That needs to be your valuations, how companies are valued, what is revenue, what's a beta, what a DCF is, what a VAC is, all of that technical skill, you will definitely need to know, but it's limited to that. No one in, uh, you can develop some modeling expertise, work on some life projects, do it at college as part of some course, or maybe some course, take additional courses online. We have so many of that these days. Those will help you out, but more than that, I feel like just the softer understanding of what the space is is really critical because CBS will equip you with reasonable amount of technical know-how and that is required for the entry-level positions. More than that, almost everyone understands that you are going to join as an analyst and you will need to be taught a lot of things. But more than that, it's great for you for you to personally make you the right decisions for your career that you actually understand the industry and what the roles are and how they look like. Okay, sir. So, sir, is there any specific thing that you want to address or and, uh, tell us so that we can get good knowledge? Any particular topic? I think I've given enough advice and I'm still all of that advice. It's still ringing in my head. As I said, I ended up joining an investment banking internship without really knowing that was investment banking. So be very clear because all of the firms tend to have a different nomenclature for different teams. Your and you need to be very clear about what that means for the firm that you would be joining. There would be certain, so there's, I'll tell you something. There's some transaction advisory services tends to be always due diligence roles. By transaction services tends to be MNA role. So these are very subtle differences, which is actually difficult to understand if you just read the websites and all that. That's something I would always suggest that you go out and speak to people in those teams and figure out what it is. I think that's something that's probably an advice I'd give to my younger self that figure exactly what that is and figure out sort of a career path that you want to build into. Like private equity, venture capital, those for most people, that would be a very difficult field to break in right from the get go because they tend to take experience people that you, you have had some transaction experience in the past. That's when you'll get those opportunities. So in that sense, get an understanding of, okay, I want a private equity role. I can, you most likely won't be able to get it directly from college. So figure out from people that have done it. Okay. How did you go about it? What is the best use of time that I can do? What's the first job that I should take out of college? And then how do over time I build into that role? So have a a good vision for your career and obviously keep it a little fluid. Don't be very rigid about a point to do things ebb and flow that's okay but have at least a good base plan a sturdy base plan for your future is what i would advise thank you so much uh Arjitarya. it was a very uh good conservation from you and and we got to learn a lot from you today thanks for taking out time from your busy schedule 
uh, we are looking forward to have more interesting talks with you to dive into this sector more later on thank you ajay happy to join here happy to share my views i have been in the same place that you guys are so it feels really good to actually pay it forward and to share my inputs with you